Welcome back to Mathematically Speaking, I'm your host Adam Allred. On this episode, we talk possibly about one of the most well-known philosophers and least known mathematicians, Plato. He set math back probably several hundred years with some rules that he ended up setting. These, these rules didn't make sense then, they don't make sense now. But I want to start by talking about a painting called The School of Athens. I'm sure you've seen it before. But if you haven't, pause the episode if you're able to and do a quick Google search. I'll bring this painting up again later, but right now I want to focus on the two figures in the middle. They are Plato and Aristotle. Plato is the one pointing up, and Aristotle is the one pointing down. And it seems that they are having a conversation or debate of some sort. Well, how is it that their gestures are giving away their identity? Because the difference in their gestures is the same difference in their philosophies. Plato is all about his world of forms and the real world existing outside of us. Aristotle was all about the world that we live in currently and his, uh, his evidence-based reasoning. I didn't dedicate an entire episode to Aristotle since he didn't have that large of an impact on math historically. He dabbled in everything and f for his time was brilliant in some aspects today. He is still brilliant, but he was so very wrong about so many things. Mathematicians today still work with his logic, though, Arist the Aristotelian logic system. There are so, so, so many different kinds of logic systems, but the one set up by Aristotle is the most basic and the one that we use in everyday reasoning. The whole if P, then Q, if not Q, then not P, that sort of stuff. Remember the thesis of the show, that math is a human thing that we invented and it wouldn't exist without us saying so. This sort of logic is what people try to base math in, but they failed. Logic is a tool used in math, but that does not mean it is math. Anyways, back to Plato. So much of his metaphysics contained mathematical knowledge to sure it up and provide foundation, but it all came down to his idea that the real world existed out there. Imagine a large sweeping gesture into the void as I say that, out there. We can think of the distinction between these two, Plato and Aristotle, as the difference between pure and applied math mentioned in the last episode. The way the world ought to be, and the way the world is. Now he gave large contributions to all fields of philosophy. Some examples of it, he gave us the idea of utopia in his book The Republic. He wrote the dialogues of Socrates, which covered a variety of topics. He also gave us the first western university called the Academy. Above its doors read, let no one ignorant of geometry enter. In ancient Greece, there was no other math besides geometry. Algebra wasn't invented and neither was number theory or calculus for many, many years. So a modern interpretation would probably say, let no one ignorant of math enter here. The university here would be very different than what we know as a college. It's probably better. There were, it was mainly the Socratic method. Questions asked by professors to make the students pull the answers out of themselves, centered around the works of Aristotle. And the title of this episode is, It's Just Platonic. Plato's name is where we get the word platonic from because he was a big fan of intimate friendships, and he thought the best kind of relationship there was was the friendship between two guys. Today we would call it a bromance. While Plato did know math himself, his philosophy was so influential that it impacted math. 
and the most influential was his metaphysics, which I've touched on a bit in a few episodes here and there, but today I'm going to really get it down. Plato had the idea that the entire universe was made up of five regular polygons, which we now call Plato solids or the Platonic solids. A regular polygon is one such that all faces have the same number of sides. For example, a cube is made up of just squares, and all squares have the same number of sides. So a cube is a regular polygon. If one of the sides became a triangle, then it would no longer be regular, and it also wouldn't be a cube. Another criterion for it to be a regular polygon is that every corner has the same number of faces that come together. Again, a cube has three faces that all meet at one corner. The last requirement is that these are convex polygons, which means that the corners point outward rather than inward. There are only five of these kinds of polygons, or solids, which is bizarre out of the infinitely many different polygons, which is just any closed shape. That's all, that's all that is required for it to be a polygon. Only five of them fit the qualifications for both convex and regularity. Well, how do we know that there are only five, you ask? Good question. Let me tell you how. Take a circle, which is 360 degrees round. To create these polygons, we need to be cognizant of the angle at each corner and the angle at the center of the shape that we're making. So we think of the number of sides we want and then divide that by 360 for the center angle. Subtract that from 180 to get your corner angles. The number of sides, the more number of sides we have, then the bigger the corner angles are. If we take the shapes that can be created to do this method, and knowing the number of faces we need to meet together to make a corner, we do this for every conceivable shape, and only five will work. So how does this tie into a theory of the universe? Well, Plato took these five regular polygons and attributed elements to them, and these elements made up the universe. Now this may start sounding like a bit like Avatar The Last Airbender. First we have the tetrahedron, which is made up of four equilateral triangles. Same side lengths and same angle measures, that's what an equilateral triangle is with three of them at uh, one corner. This represented fire, since it had shared edges like fire, I guess. It's pointy, and fire is pointy. Next is the hexahedron. This is just a cube. Hexa is six. There's six faces on a cube. So six squares, three at a corner. It represents Earth, since it is very stable. Next is the octahedron. This is made up of eight triangles, with four of them at a corner. It represented air. No idea why it does that. Couldn't figure it out. Next is the icostahedron, which is made up of 20 triangles, with five at a corner. This one rep represented water. Again, no idea why. The last one is the dodecahedron. It is made up of 12 pentagons, with three meeting at a corner. This one represented the universe itself, or the heavens. At the time, there were only 12 known constellations, so each pentagon on that shape represented one of those constellations, thus making the entirety of the universe, because it had or would have fit all 12 constellations in it. 
There is an idea that the creation of these shapes and an interest in them started with the popularity of gambling, as they all make for good dice. If you play Dungeons and Dragons, you know what a d20 is. That's just an icostahedron. Part of what makes these shapes so good as dice is that since they all have the same number of sides on each face and outward corners, and the same number of faces at each corner, then each roll is entirely random. It's all, the, all of them are equally likely to happen. In theory, it is random, but in actuality, it isn't random. Like a coin toss is meant to be random and only be 50-50. But there's actually an 80% chance of landing on the face that is pointing up to you when you flip it on any individual toss. However, it gets closer to 50-50 the more tosses you do. This is called the law of large numbers. I'll get to that when we get to probability and statistics in a few seasons. I know I've talked about Plato's World of Forms before, and you're probably tired of me hearing it. You're probably tired of hearing it. But here it is again, just in case you skipped those episodes. Plato believed that this world was just an approximation to the actual reality that existed outside of us. It is best explained with the allegory of the cave. You and three friends live your lives in a cave, watching shadows on a wall. You have no idea what is outside of that cave making these shadows. For all you know, reality is just these shadows. But you decide to venture out. So you leave the cave to see what is making these shadows, and you return with all of the knowledge that you have gained and try to tell your friends. They think you have gone crazy and tell you that the shadows are, re- the shadows are reality. There is nothing more. The world outside of the cave is the world of forms, where a perfect form of everything exists. We just see the shadows. This is true for mathematical forms as well. The platonic solids exist in this outside world. These ideas may have started with Pythagoras, but Plato and his solids, and his solids solidified them. That's a really bad pun, I'm sorry. The way that we're able to do math and connect with this world of forms is because our immortal souls used to live in this world of forms as well. Now, I said I would talk about how Plato ruined math for a while with some of his dumb rules. Well, since geometry was the main mathematical staple at the time, a lot of the proofs were done by referencing shapes that had to be drawn. Plato said that these shapes could only be made with just a compass and a straight edge. That's it. A compass lets you create different angles, and a straight edge lets you draw the lines. And a straight edge is is like a ruler, but if it had no marks. If you remember the chapter on constructions back in your geometry class, then you did geometry the way Plato wanted. The way a dude who's been dead for thousands of years wanted you to do math. That's how powerful his influence was, and nobody questioned him and just went along with it after long after he died, obviously because we still teach it. The ever so important skill of drawing shapes with a compass and a straight edge. As an educator of sorts, this is infuriating that this is still around because it created certain problems and it deemed them impossible to solve because of these weird standards. For example, the problem of trisecting an angle. All of this means is that we can take an angle and split it into three equal portions. If you don't have a mark on that straight edge, it can't be done. Now, this there's a powerful lesson in this. 
Plato set up these dumb rules for no reason. He just thought it had to be that way. Don't really know why. And no one really broke the rules until... Until Archimedes. And he put one single line on on that straight edge. And he solved the problem of trisecting angles. And, like, it was super easy if you had one line on that straight edge. And a lot of students today are starting to question some of these rules that we have in math. Now, math today, there's there's, there's fewer of these dumb rules. I'm sure there's a few. But they're not... We, we've gotten rid of most of the dumb ones. But let's extend this beyond math. Versus, we said math is a human thing that is a tool. Well, what what lesson can we learn from this is from historically from this? That a lot of the rules that we might be have that we have that we've been following for forever might just be dumb. We might not know why they're there, but we've just been going on with it because some guy a couple thousand years ago said so. Imagine all the things that we could fix and we could solve if we got rid of these rules and just put a tick mark on our straight edge. I'm going to end the episode with that. Let me know what you think. Twitter, Facebook. This has been Mathematically Speaking. Thank you for listening.